And this is the Northern Guide to Happiness. Welcome to episode 38 in this current series of the podcast. Thanks to everyone who's listened so far and welcome if you're just joining us. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with Chris and Kath. Hello, everyone. Hello. How are we? Okay. Getting better. Okay. Getting better. Why? Have you not been well? Uh, No, no, no. Just safely back in the house with a nice warm drink and... Uh, technology's working so uh, everything in the in that particular part of the world is okay always, always a good start yes yeah. how are you chris i'm all right my my, my i've regained feeling in my legs after a weekend of tramping around england's capital oh what a segue i know i know <laughs> So I've been on holiday and I'm old, all in the same sentence, yeah. It is exhausting to walk around cities, isn't it? More so than green spaces. It is. It's sort of interesting as a sort of a little teaser for the interview we're about to hear, all that thing about kind of exploring places and uh, finding spaces and kind of walking. Walking is an important part of that, I think, because you have to take your time as you go around. And I, I enjoy walking around London. It's a good way to kind of know how it all fits together. Mm. Then um, you discover but, that the underground stations are very close together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's there's no point in using the underground at all. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're on the north side of the river. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you find yourself walking down somewhere like Drury Lane, you think, oh, <gasps> it's a real place. <laughs> you know, it's it's not a brand. It's a it's a thing. Mm. And there's Trafalgar Square. Who knew? So yeah, yeah, London was London was great. It was a good couple of days holiday, which I thought we we'd earned. But you've come back to the north, Chris. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> cross the bridge. Every time. Oh, did you cross the bridge? Were you on the train? We were on the train. Cross the bridge. It's a very noisy, boisterous train that was accumulating people being chucked out of pubs in places like <laughs> Tomcaster, York, Leeds, all the way up. And decanting everybody in Newcastle. Real. Yep. Well, after this podcast, I'm going to be heading to the supermarket, mainly because mm-hmm. we haven't got any food in the house, uh, but also just to pick up some supplies for a collection that my daughter's school is doing for the situation in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to be off to buy hopefully some uh, medicine, first aid kits, whatever they've got in the supermarket, really, and uh, yeah. just just do what you can in what feels like a completely helpless overwhelming situation but uh yeah yeah i think that's really good that's really good alex um it's it feels feels weird doing a podcast about happiness when the Mm -hmm. news is full you know as it has been in the past of places like afghanistan and yemen this isn't you know sadly this is not a new thing but i don't know ukraine uh not all that far away yeah it's a horrible feeling powerless so i think doing stuff like you know finding charities that you can that are supporting people on the ground is really important. Mm-hmm. I was having a look for, you know, where's where's goods to um to donate to and things like kind of Red Cross and Doctors Without Borders and the UN Refugee Agency, all this you know, they're they're doing stuff on the ground and yeah, it's you kinda yeah. know that you know if you if you help out then people will get it directly, which is good. So we are thinking thinking of you all in Ukraine. Yeah. On that note, we'll introduce this week's guest interview. This week, an old friend of mine joins us on the podcast. Adam Goldwater talks to us about the importance of sense of place to his happiness and well-being. We talk about how, as a child, he used to ask his dad, can we go somewhere old? And how that love of exploring old buildings and sites across the region has continued into adulthood. But enough of me talking, here's Adam. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Alex. A very warm welcome to the Northern Guides to Happiness. Uh, thank you. Your your room looks interesting. I'm looking at the uh, the picture on the wall behind you. Looks interesting. Yes, it's a it's a textile actually. It's my oh, mother in law, Janet Twin. She's a textile artist, so it's one of her early pieces actually. 
fabulous looks very colorful you were showing me around your room earlier you had a, a tent on the floor and a piano and, and goldfish uh, tank as well it's a yes it's um <laughs> it's my uh home office stroke son's playroom stroke guest room stroke lounge so it's, it's multi-purpose i was gonna say a bit like the room of requirement in harry potter just uh, yes, whatever it needs uh, to be <laughs> but if i if i want to um, use the trike to go to the next room it's just behind me uh, <laughs> through the through the uh, play tunnel and um and there's actually there's all sorts of fisher price toys in the background which are older than me um these are my sons now so it's uh it, it well it, it makes me happy seeing him playing with them so that's <laughs> you know that kind of nostalgia i think which is um key to my happiness i guess which is nice i'm surrounded by toys from my childhood so tell me more about those toys then. I was reminiscing the other day with somebody about the a la carte kitchen and how I was disappointed that the baked beans never heated up in the, in the little <laughs> saucepan when you were playing with them. Uh, what sort of toys are we talking about? Well, well they're, they're mainly Fisher-Price and Brio and the Fisher-Price toys, are, you know, they're, they're so solid, they're robust. The Fisher-Price airport, which is like a, a almost retro piece of 1960s architecture and it folds <laughs> out and it's got that luggage com compartment um luggage return you, you turn the handle in it and it spins spins around it's fantastic and it's it's just yeah it's 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 really reminiscent of happy days when I was younger and it's nice you know my parents kept these things so we've been able to hand hand them on pass them down the generations my son gets great enjoyment playing with them and they as I say, they're so strong and that, you know, they just don't make toys like that. Built to last, today. built to last. Built to last. <laughs> and the Brio, I mean, the Brio railway, wooden train set, uh, you know, that's, it's, it was my first foray into interest in trains, which I'm sure we'll pick up on later, which is my kind of closet, my closet hobby. <laughs> There's no shame in uh, railways and, and train spotting. I remember the, uh, I think it was the Flying Scotsman and the Tornado both came through Forest Hall recently and, uh, well, last few months anyway, and just the excitement that it brings when, you know, these big old steam engines come hurtling through on the uh, the main line to uh, to Edinburgh. It's, it's great. I love it. Yeah, there's something very majestic about them and, yeah. and even in small scale as well. <laughs> well, we'll maybe talk a little bit more about that and uh, the, the happiness that the toys bring a little bit later. But before we go any further, Adam, would you mind just maybe introducing yourself to the listeners? Sure. So uh, my name's Adam Goldwater. I am born and bred Geordie. I might not sound like it, but I was <laughs> born in the Princess Mary Hospital nearly 43 years ago. It's, uh, it's, it's not a hospital anymore. It's a block of luxury apartments. But mm. um just off the Great North Road in Jesmond uh, and grew up in Newcastle and went to university in Nottingham but then I came back after five years and I'm back in the northeast so I live live actually just outside Newcastle uh, in Northumberland but work in town work in the city and it's very you know very much part of my uh, identity I guess my my kind of uh, who I am Newcastle in the northeast and all the places and spaces that I enjoy visiting it's it's kind of part of my makeup uh, it's part of who I am so it's you know I, I love going into the city I love working there and I'm really lucky that I'm able to work somewhere very central and somewhere that's probably very familiar to a lot of people and a lot of a lot of uh, people listening to this and that's the Great North Museum or the Hancock as it's affectionately still known to a lot of people in the city in the region. And uh, we should probably make a disclaimer here at this point as well, that we've known each other probably nearly 20 years or so. We, we both did uh, a master's course at Newcastle University many, 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 many moons ago. Yes, I was thinking about that earlier and it is actually 20 years oh this year. Oh my God, that makes me feel so old. Yeah, 2002 <laughs> we met uh, doing that postgrad course at Newcastle. Yes, yes. And stayed in touch ever since and, and catch up we, we always text each other go we must meet up we must meet up and then yeah time escapes us but uh, we we do try and catch up when we can yeah um, it's, it's been tricky last couple of years but absolutely. we did have a um a good catch up at whitley bay we yesterday. did uh, yes. day before yesterday so that's good yes outside spanish city got some uh fish and chips and ice cream as per usual has to be done when you're out at the coast but uh yeah it's good to see you all so yeah. that's good so going back to what you were saying before then about 
Newcastle and the city centre and it being, you know, just part of who you are. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I was I was lucky enough to have uh, parents, particularly my dad, who um, was interested in in the city, the history. And from a very young age, I was kind of dragged to places. Uh, dragged in quotation marks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, so, so places, you know, places like the Hancock Museum, but um, Castle Keep down, down the quayside, which uh, in the kind of early to mid 80s was actually quite derelict, sort of pre, pre-redevelopment, very, very different. But I, I grew up amongst photos and books and being taken to these places that that really kind of shaped my interest and and it, there was a running joke as the youngest in my family that I would ask my dad to uh, can we go somewhere old <laughs> and uh, dad quite willingly accepted All so right then. so yeah so weekends were spent you know either visiting the castle or some of the old churches and or, or the old city walls town walls in 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 Newcastle um or as I say down at the quayside but also some of some of the kind of strange places that don't exist anymore I had this strange fascination with um what was Manor's station which in the mid 80s was this kind of part derelict station just near where Northumbria University's um, business school is now some some listeners may remember it being the site of the Warner Brothers cinema before that was demolished not mm-hmm. long ago. This weird sort of transitional part of the city that almost like a liminal space. And, you know, amongst places like that and the quayside being these sort of semi-derelict places, these, these kind of held this strange fascination for me. And I think, you know, lots of people find fascination in these sort of part-abandoned places and, and Newcastle's full of them when you dig beneath the surface you know the result of sort of failed 1960s redevelopments that ha- that mean there are kind of walkways to nowhere you know the, <laughs> these parts of the city that are now part of the heritage but but were part of these redevelopments that never came to pass and dad used to take me down to these places so in amongst you know walking from a part of the medieval town walls you'd, you'd kind of come to these concrete bridges that just don't lead anywhere and they're just straight I still find them strangely fascinating so and now I look back on visiting these places with huge amount of nostalgia so Manor Station's gone I actually I remember uh, asking dad to take me down one day and we went down it had been flattened it had been demolished what and uh, <laughs> and we, we we kind of um you couldn't do this now because you know health and safety they would kind of cordon everything off or put high fences up but the kind of debris from this flattened station was still very visible and we've actually got a bit of cast iron decorative bit of um this sort of cornice cornice work from one of the platform canopies which um, I've still got in a box um <laughs> here at home with and it's got the paint flaking off it and it's sort of rusting gently but it's a piece of you know cast iron railway architecture and and it's funny because manners pops up on these local Facebook groups you know history groups yeah. and, and and then you suddenly realize that there are other people that have this strange fascination with this place and memories of using it actually as a station even though it was kind of um, quietly disintegrating around people uh, and it was a major um, station in its time in Newcastle it's kind of the, the main line still passes through it but it's gone so it's one of these places that I kind of look back to with a sort of warm feeling of happiness and you know there are photos of me standing there with my dad and um, so it doesn't you know Newcastle's full of these really interesting places that I that I think about and think about the times I visited and now instilling that kind of interest in my son who is just three years old but you know he's spent most of his life in lockdown actually Mm. so we're now just opening up and being able to revisit well I'm being revisiting but introduce my son to these places which hoping he'll get that kind of desire to explore and I think that's what it is it's it's about exploring your local place and developing a, a sense of place and I think that's what it is I think that's what kind of makes makes these places um, make me feel happy or, or warm it's that connection that that hard to determine sense of longing or belonging to a place that I think we're really lucky in Newcastle and, and the northeast as a whole that there are some real jewels um, 
and, and they're not all beautiful places, but they're these places that you can visit and revisit and you get this kind of connection and they give you this uh, warm feeling or this sense of kind of serenity or calmness and they kind of energize you. So, so yeah, I, you know, for, for all my life, I've felt that developing this sort of sense of place around, around the historic environment is kind of crucial to your well-being and happiness. And I think when you visit these places again and you, you've built up that connection, it's that deep connection that really is quite spiritually uplifting, actually. So, yeah, been, been lucky to have a parent take me to these places from a very young age. Uh, and then you kind of, as you get older and your horizons are broadened, either because you, you know, in my case, I learned to drive and I, I you, you then you have a whole world on your doorstep that you can explore because you've got that, that real desire or sense, sense to discover new place and, and uh, develop a new sense of place around places. You know, I started to explore other places. So there are, there are places dotted around Northumberland particularly where I had, have subsequently kind of made that connection on that sense of place. And they could be, you know, abandoned railway lines are a great one because, you know, to extend that theme of, of railways and heritage, these kind of little branch lines that crisscross Northumberland that combine that kind of human historic environment with the natural, they've, they've been reclaimed by nature. And again, there's something about that liminal space of walking down an abandoned railway line or through an abandoned overgrown cutting and coming across a, um, a bridge, a footbridge over the cutting or a, a, a small bridge over a, a culvert with the kind of collapsed remains of an old platform or something. This again, you know, that that real sense of discovery and spiritual satisfaction you get from discovering these, these quite strange places. So yeah, I can, I can pinpoint a number of places up the North Tyne Valley that I then subsequently discovered. And then I love revisiting these places. Um, there's some real gems on our doorstep and almost quite secret locations that I have sort of mapped out in my own little explorations of the highways and byways of Northumberland. <laughs> that, you know, I, I, and I'm happy to share because I think we're I was going to so say, lucky. yeah, I, I don't want to sort of uh, give away any secrets if they are sort of secret places for you. But you know, where where are these sort of happy places that you that you like to revisit? I talk about the these railway lines. It's the Border Counties railway line, which went right up the North Tyne Valley. Um, so, so once upon a time, you could go to Newcastle Central Station and catch a train to Hexham and then take a branch line all the way up the North Tyne Valley. So places up through Wall, up to Cholliford, and then beyond up to Barrisford, and so on, all the way up to kind of Reedsdale, and then on up to the Scottish borders. There's a real gem of a place um, just beyond Cholliford. Uh, if you go to Chollerton, between uh, Cholliford and Barrisford, and there's a footpath signposted off a tiny country lane and you cross, you come across an old well, stretch of the, the railway line. And then you, if you cross the railway line, you descend down to the North Tyne and it's almost like a lost world. It's, it's this bit of the uh, countryside that's sort, sort of cut off by the railway and then bordered by the river. And it's, it's almost like a little meadow. It's like you step back in time. And I, you know, and there are some ancient oak trees there and it's it's so quiet. And if you look down the river, you quite often see people um, fishing, salmon fishing. And it's it's so idyllic and it's it probably wouldn't have been accessible when the railway line was in existence. The, the railway was probably axed as part of the beaching cuts in the 1960s. And it's now this sort of magical plate and it's it's really evocative and um, it's also a really, really fantastic spot for blackberry picking in the autumn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's something I like doing as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and, and there's places like that, that all around Northumberland. And I think, you know, you, there's nothing more satisfying than getting out a big ordnance survey map and just kind of pouring over it and, and looking for places that might be, might hold these kind of, potential uh for that kind of spiritual just rest and relaxation and then you know a place like i've just described is, is almost that kind of liminal threshold between one place and another walking down that railway line is so evocative and yeah i 
I, you know, that, that idea of pouring over a map or now, you know, on your phone, looking at these places and go and just going and exploring them off the beaten track. Does it feel, um, you know, exciting as well in the thought that maybe, maybe no one else has been here for goodness knows how long and just that idea of, you know, it being, yeah, as you say, a bit of a secret location. Yeah, I, th I think there's that sense that you might be, the, might actually be the only person who's ever been here. And then you see people's, you know, you see footsteps and you think, oh, other people oh, have discovered. <laughs> but you never, you never really see anyone. And I think because we're so lucky in Northumberland, you know, we're lucky with our beaches and the castles and, you know, compared to other places like the southwest of Cornwall, but that are almost you feel like they're overrun by by tourists and visitors i think there are still places in northumberland that you can go to and get a sense that nobody's been there for not even days weeks or months but even years and i think particularly during lockdown as well there was this huge emphasis wasn't there on, on getting out for your daily exercise and i think that's made us realize even more the beauty that's on our doorstep really i think here in the northeast and i think there, there is the tendency to go to the usual suspects but there's just so much more out there isn't there yeah and you know there are more and more studies that nature is good for your health and well-being mm -hmm. and and that that connection that immediate connection which doesn't matter how much screen time you have engaging with you know we're so lucky that now you know you can go onto youtube and there's so much information about the natural world out there and you know david attenborough's programs on the bbc are so fantastic but nothing beats actually just getting out there and breathing that that fresh air and just being part of it that you know that real connection with nature mm. so so uh, yeah i think we're, we're we're lucky in that sense and you know n nothing really makes me more happy than going at that sense of discovery of finding a new place like that and just enjoying it and then once you revisit and visit again and again you get that connection and that that recurring sense of place that really develops that calmness and serenity that i think we all crave in our busy lives mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. make make time for it is that your tip we always ask people at the end of the interview you know for some tips and so maybe save save that as a as a tip for the end sure yeah yeah, yeah. So did, were you aware of, you know, as, as a child um, being dragged to all of these places, was it, were you aware, was it something that made you happy at the time? Or is this something that you're looking back sort of retrospectively, you know, that exploration as a child, you're thinking about it now as an adult, or was it something that you, was that happiness something you experienced at the time as well? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, you know, I guess looking back, back on it with nostalgia, you know, you get a different sense of that happiness. But I think at the time it's that sort of joining up experience there's the going to the place and then because i was lucky that our house we were surrounded by books dad had a lot of books about you know the, the history of newcastle I was interested in it that i could then look it up and just find out more i think there's that desire to kind of almost thirst for knowledge to try and join up the dots and and i think it you know in the there's a lot of work being done in the 80s to, to tidy up and conserve a lot of the heritage of, of central Newcastle. And, but, but there were points that were still really interested to explore. So, you know, I talk about manners being this kind of derelict zone, but there were, there were bits of where the town wall ran. Um, so, so round the back of where the sorting, the Royal Mail sorting office used to be behind the station, the stretch of wall. And dad would take me down because he was, capturing quite a lot um, on camera of, of the changing city and he'd done this all the way through the 60s so got a great library of photos of of this record of you know Eldon Square shopping centre being built and the buildings that have been demolished before that and and similarly when the town walls were being revealed behind the sorting office so behind um, near fourth street you know seeing these medieval walls that had been kind of encased in other more modern buildings reappearing after hundreds of years was just really interesting and then and then putting that together with some of the books to try and almost map it out yourself and get a sense of understanding I think that you know that that was what really interested me was trying to build this picture for myself of, of this changing landscape and, mm. and make sense of it I guess it's mm. that kind of 
desire to understand what was happening in the city because you know my dad worked in the in the city center so he he was down there quite a lot i used to go down quite a lot to what was then the family business in town and yeah to see it all kind of changing in front of your eyes and then and then i was interested dad dad did a lot of black and white photography his own developing so he had these great pictures of the changing city um, that I was making sense of as well and seeing that the quayside had was you know constantly changing from this center of industry and shipping and warehouses and then as I remember them they, they, they were derelict and then the beginnings of the redevelopment down there was then the tiny weir um, development authority and I think my first memory of the the biggest redevelopment down there was the courthouse and that being you know brand spanking new building going up yeah, yeah. and then subsequently all those warehouses being turned into apartments flats uh, and so on and it continues to this day and some of it obviously more controversial um as they try and fill in the gaps that they never redeveloped at the time but you know it's it's fascinating to see that even in our you know since since i was a child that that whole cityscape has just completely changed i mean there's the obvious markers familiar with bridges but, you know, looking at the, the old and the new together, I think it's really interesting. It's something I'm sure my son will be really interested in to see that change from his grandfather's pictures of, of the 60s and onwards through to my recollections of, of that part of town changing. And so it continues, you know, you've got the, the now the 1960s buildings, which my dad recorded going up or coming down and i was, was going to say i hate to say it, but we are now of the age that you know what we remember is now history and heritage as well <laughs> it's all part all part of the process isn't it and I, I guess when you look at areas of the city i suppose like you, you were hinting just before there that the, the ooseburn you know which over the centuries has gone through all sorts of different uses from your slum housing your heavy industry through to the more creative entertainment back to housing again and it's just really interesting to see yeah this the city never stays the same it's always yeah, it's, always changing it's part of the success of newcastle is its ability to reinvent itself and, mm. and i you know and the people are part of that and you know that and that makes that makes me really satisfied and happy to see that the city is continually in development and it's not it's not going into decline yeah. um yeah so yeah, I, I, and that all of that together, that kind of rich picture, I think, is something that is yeah, just, it's fascinating. It's really interesting. Your dad's collection then sounds fascinating as well. Has he ever displayed it? You know, is is it just sitting in albums, uh, or you know, has he got them out on display at any time? He has been going through a process of scanning. So there's there's a lot. Well, there are a lot of negatives. Um, some we're taking on you know, single lens reflex cameras, but but others were just taking snapshots. So it's, it's a real collection. I mean, I think it's probably worth having a proper look at again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yes. And and I think that's the beauty of it is it's, it's a tangible thing. And I think that, you know, even as a youngster, that really interested me. And that's something I think we've lost a little bit of is that sense of that tangible, like you can actually hold a negative you can process it and print it and, and hold it whereas now it's so immediate and so quick that actually you don't necessarily take so much time to craft the picture to mm -hmm. frame it and and so so yeah there's there's something about that physical there's enormous digital. intangible yes. yeah there's enormous yeah. intangible uh understanding of the <laughs> tangible physical picture which is i think so much more powerful and therefore we're going yeah. very nerdy now, Adam. <laughs> very, very <laughs> evocative, but really evocative. And I think that's yeah. the thing is, yeah. I, I, there's something about that more traditional film. Oh, I totally agree. Which is more evocative yeah. and therefore yeah. evokes much more of a sense of nostalgia than yeah. looking at a digital yeah. picture on a screen. I mean, when I've done, you know, digital storytelling workshops with people, you know, reminiscent sessions, oral history interviews and yeah oh there's just something so much more special and interesting to have a physical photo in your hand you know that the feel of the photograph you know the paper that's been used all of the the, the rips and the tears on it 
you know you, you just don't get that same sense from a, a digital version of that that image at all so i'm totally no, absolutely totally with you on that one yeah yeah so you've kind of taken that love of exploring and heritage through to your sort of adult work and you, you know as you said at the top of the interview you, you're now at the uh, the great north museum hancock you know what's it I'm going to use a very technical term here. What's it like working in a building full of dinosaurs and old stuff? What's it like? <laughs> well, it's it's a real privilege. And I think, you know, the Great North Museum for Hancock is a very special place. And and I what I what I say a lot of is that we're just stewards. So so you see photos of the, the Hancock as it was then. You know, it was built in 1884. It's been part of the fabric of the city for generations and everyone has their own Hancock memory. So I mentioned, you know, when Manor's station pops up on Facebook groups, people have their own memories. You can guarantee that when the Hancock pops up, people have their own strong memories and, and very nostalgic kind of happy memories of childhood visits there. So so everyone has their own Hancock. So, so not only is it a privilege but it's quite a big responsibility working in a building that you know not not long ago went through major redevelopment because it needed it it needed the investment and it's much more modern but any fiddling around with that that museum people have their own opinion of it so it's because it has this credible sense of folk memory in the city and I think that you know it makes a lot of people happy it you know my memories of of visiting there it evokes that that sense of happiness and and it and and so forth for for many people in the city so so it's part of the fabric the folk memory of the city and it's it's a, it's a big responsibility and a privilege working there and the collections are fantastic and and as i say when you look at photos whether it's the 1890s uh, 1920s there's almost the same photo taken from the same location that I've seen all the way through the 1960s and the buildings around it change, but there in the background, you can see the Hancock yeah. and it's, you know, the same structure and, and it's, it's, yeah, it's been part of people's lives for, for a very long time now. And I say a lot to colleagues probably um, get bored of me saying it, but you know, my, my son, three years old visit, visits, loves it. And, you know, his age group, we do a lot for in the museum. We do a lot for, for under fives and toddlers. And they are our 22nd century visitor. I say this a lot to people. It's that, you know, uh, we've got people who visited with their, their grandparents or even great grandparents going back the last century and even the century before. So that, that idea of stewardship where we are potentially, you know, my son may be bringing, hopefully, his grandchildren back into the next century so that cycle continues and I think that's really important and it, it gives me that warm glow thinking about it that that potentially you know the museum will still be engaging people into the into the next century so so yeah it's 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 a great place to work and it's fascinating we're uncovering more and more about the collections that we didn't know about before and it's again that sense of discovery that could be in one part of the city with with this uh strong heritage going back but actually thinking about how those collections remain relevant and engaging for that 22nd century visitor or the visitors who don't visit they find us hard to reach um how do we we, we make a museum with collections that stretch right back to the 19th or even 18th century some of those collections how do you make that relevant into the next century and beyond mm. is the key challenge so it's exciting and and, and fun and yeah I enjoy it it's great yeah so does it does your work make you happy does it bring you happiness it does yeah I think you know working in a place that I have those strong happy memories of visiting albeit very different uh, <laughs> those it, spiral it is, you know, staircases I'll always remember those spiral staircases yeah and and you know, I've seen countless photos of people going up and down those staircases and those galleries may have different things in them but they still kind of echo with those memories going going right back. So it's it's yeah, it's a it's a great place. Very happy. I, you know, when I walk through those doors, going up those steps, or if you're coming from Haymarket and you see the Hancock in the distance, you know, it it draws you in and it's 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 
fabulous place and yeah I am lucky. So what does happiness mean to you though? You've you've used the word a few times already in, in this interview. What what do you think about when you think about happiness? I guess there's this sense of um there's a mixture of all sorts of things. So it's being being content. I think happiness can stimulate other actions like creativity. So if you're happy and content, you, it, it can kind of stimulate creative thoughts. So if I think about that wonderful place up in the North Tyne, you know, that helps me, that kind of peace, spirituality of the place, that kind of sense of satisfaction, that joy that comes with thinking about being there kind of helps to stimulate those kind of other kind of outputs, I suppose, that, that can help you more be more focused. So I think it's all sorts of things that combine that, in a sense, join with happiness to make you feel healthier, both mentally and physically. So it's that spur, that, that um, recharging mm-hmm. and that energising. For me, that's what happiness is. It's that, that tingle that is stimulating other things that can energise your recharge batteries to help you to go on to do other things. I like that description. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, a few people have used the word contentment, which you've you've used there. But yeah, re energizing and, and recharging. That's that's an interesting idea. Yeah, and I think it's it's like a it's a staged process. So I think if you're happy and you're content and you're in your kind of place that allows that to happen and and you're peaceful, you're at peace, then then you start to get oh, and you made a connection because maybe there's nostalgia associated with that place or it's that kind of sense of place where by going back it 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 almost supercharges the that that reaction Mm -hmm. i don't get that in all the places i like visiting it's only a, a certain particular place where all of those things combine it's like flux capacitor and back to the future you know <laughs> once you've got that triangular relationship between that kind of sense of place that that longing or belonging to being in a place that connection then it, it yeah then you get that contentment that satisfaction that's that then plugs in the recharging and the energizing and then once that's pos- possible you, you can then go on to to other exciting things it's you know it's suppose a value you could attach to these places and the more valuable they are in terms of sense of place perhaps the more powerful they are at supercharging that re-energizing and recharging of the of your batteries so is it something that you work on then you 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 talked before about you know planning a, a trip out is that something that you would do purposefully to gain happiness? You know, you know. So, is happiness something that you work on, or, or do you not really think too much about it? If it's about a sort of place-based happiness, then yeah, I think you do. I you do have to work at it because I think if you really want to truly engage with a place, for me, I have to understand that place on a deeper level in terms of what's the history, what made this place like it is, why are these trees here. You know why? Why? Why is the set of oak trees here? Were they washed up by the river, or you know wh- why does the railway line cross here? Why is the railway line not here anymore? Why? So there's a sense of trying to build a picture of why, uh, and, and actually it can be hyper local, and I think that's what's really interesting. If you look at some of the early naturalists, you know they were interested in very hyper local studies of understanding of place and. I think that's why it's so important in this day and age that in terms of reconnecting with nature, you know, it's yes, it's really important that we are struck by images of melting ice caps and, you know, changing climate in sub-Saharan Africa. But equally, if we want people to engage and make a difference, they have to understand what the impact of climate change is on their doorstep. So I think it's that understanding of the hyper-local you know, whether it's understanding the whole history of Manistation and why it ended up being essentially abandoned, closed and demolished. You know, it's about building that picture. And so so I like to have all the pieces of the jigsaw and, you know, you might not have the picture on the box, 
but you start to piece together all of those things and then ah you step back and you go ah right now i understand that so it's and i think it's 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 quite hard to pinpoint but when it clicks and you get that tingle when you visit a place and you you understand it you, you it's almost like you understand it in three dimensions and in place and time and i think maybe that's it it's about understanding being able to walk down the street in newcastle and look around and and really understand it in terms of place and time and how it's shaped and evolved and that probably sounds really geeky and i think if you know in terms of our understanding the city or or those places a bit further afield it's it's how they've evolved to be as they are and i think i just find that really interesting whether it's a tiny little lane up in northumberland or a kielder forest and it's and reservoir and its vast kind of man-made landscape or a bit of revealed medieval walling in central Newcastle I think it's just it's it's about that thirst for knowledge and understanding it how it came to be like that and mm -hmm. I find that really fascinating and that makes me really content and really happy. So as well as exploring that idea of sense of place and you you mentioned at the top we were talking about the the old toys as well that your son now plays with and we touched on trains as well what what else brings you happiness adam <laughs> so yeah <laughs> so this this is this is this will be so this is only really known to people very close to me families and friends but uh, yeah I, I i i am a closet model railway fan and i'm lucky enough that the model railway that my dad built when i was younger and they when they moved house, moved to a smaller house, and there wasn't room for it. Oh, I, what a shame! Um, I was lucky that I ended up with it. So, uh, Do, much, does, much, does does Bobby feel the same way? That's the question. Not not quite. She sees the room it's currently housed in as a, a wasted space, space. With lots, lots of other potential. Um, and as I keep saying, it's a work in progress. You know, some people spend. Uh, well, she says, you know, when when's it going to be finished? And these things are never finished. It's you know, a bit like, it's like our camper van. It's it's a work. It's a work in progress. <laughs> yeah. yeah, ongoing projects. <laughs> but there's there's something about so so it starts from a young age with some of us, and some people grow out of it, and some people don't. And you know, I, I mentioned the brio, and and you know, Lego to an extent. But there comes a point where if you're introduced to it at a young age, and you know, my family. Uh, my my cousin is is a is a train driver, so I've kind of living the dream. I'm immersed in it. Yeah, he's so he's living the dream. But he, you know, he's an, uh, an older cousin, so he used to go to his house, and he he had Hornby Hornby trains, um, and then yeah, he ended up playing playing with the real thing. But there's there's something about that kind of recreating a world in miniature. So I've talked about these big places that I visit and the real places, but something about recreating your own little, little world, little works of art, really. And, and, you know, for lots of people, myself included, they bring you little moments of happiness, that kind of precision, that joy and ingenuity, you know, modeling on a small scale is, it's very precise, but it's that joyful escape from reality. And I think, you know, you look at the news at the moment and that, that ability to make your own world uh, and create new narratives or your own fictional narratives around them and, and even invented histories, I think is, is something that, you know, you can shut the door in the outside world, you've got your own little world in miniature and, and, and you can build that and create, you know, villages or towns, landscapes. There's that kind of fascination with it. But it's and it's become, you know, it's become very popular in lockdown. And I'm sure and Hornby, it has. <laughs> Hornby, Hornby has had a very successful couple of years because people haven't had much else to do. No, it's it's you said it. <laughs> yeah. No, and 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 that 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 kind of ability to run a trail locomotive on a small scale, and it's 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 popular in it, but it's some people take it to different lengths. <laughs> So where do you uh, where do you go on your little miniature train? Is there a oh, mine's destination? Just, no, it's just a completely invented world. I mean, that that's probably where I draw the line. Actually, is people people replicate, uh, you know, real prototypes and will model 
real landscapes down to the down to the millimeter i'm not that interested in that it's it's more about the fictional world and if it doesn't quite work if the street's not quite wide enough or the bends are too tight and you know my carriages are constantly derailing because i haven't fixed the track down properly no you know good. that's fine it wouldn't cut it on an exhibition circuit but that's not what i'm in it for <laughs> Do you know, I had a friend uh, when I was growing up in, in primary school and her dad had a, a little, I shouldn't, it wasn't a little train set, it was quite a large train set in, in the garage at the bottom of the garden. And it went all the way around the garden. It came out a little hole of the garage out round the garden. It was great. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I remember someone else I, I knew had a little ride on train. And I, I, sh I should differentiate here between the, there are train sets and model railways okay, and i think once okay. you've entered into the world of model railways you've left the train set behind um, <laughs> is that a step train too set, far <laughs> train sets are toys <laughs> no and, and and if you look at the success of heritage railways so tanfield case in point uh, oh the and, north york moors railway is incredible yeah, as well yeah and these these places are model railways on an enormous scale and and they've done great things for local economy and i think they're fantastic to visit and you know they are themselves recreations of a slightly nostalgic and and, a, and probably a past that didn't quite necessarily exist but they are really evocative and and again they are really happy places so whether it's in uh, 1 to 76 scale or 1 to 1 scale i think you know the You've, you've gone completely off the. <laughs> <laughs> gone completely they, they're over great. My head. They're great, <laughs> and and it, it it is it's about shutting out the real world, I guess, and mm. and being able to create your own building, pub or a factory or a house. You know, it's so it's great, and you get lost in it. I guess you know, going back to what you were saying before about the the physical photo versus the digital one, it's almost as if you know, if you think about video games, um, and creating worlds there. Um, whether it's you know the old the old Sims or you know the more modern you know Xbox PlayStation games, it's kind of you know you're kind of doing the analog version of that, aren't you, with your train set? I yeah, and, and and I think the an, the analog is coming back in to fashion in a sense that actually it's the real. I think we we spent so much time screen time. You know, uh, we 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 all spend a lot of time on screen. Through lockdown and we've all changed our the ways we work but but in a sense we've rediscovered that the analog the tactile that the real in a sense that that actually we've realized how important it is i think you know zoom and um, facetime and so on have been great when we've not been able to physically connect with family and close friends but what it's done i think which is really important is helped us rediscover the the traditional and the more tactile and tangible ways of communicating or discovering or, or building knowledge or skills and i yeah. think you know that's 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 great for for mental health and well-being as well yeah absolutely i mean yeah as you say zoom and teams and all that has been great to keep us all going, but it's just not the same as being in that face-to-face -face environment, is it, at all? No, no. No. Do you consider yourself to be a happy person, Adam? I do. I think that sense of contentment, I've, I've talked a lot about places, and I think interacting with other people in these places is, is part of that. So, you know, I think that kind of social aspect you don't have to be alone in these places you know I wouldn't want to get across that you just have to be solitary in any of these places I think and I think for me there's a sense of it of introducing other people to these places they become a social space as well so I think you know that builds on that contentment I get a huge amount of joy about sharing that knowledge with with other people and I think that that's important so I, yeah I I I think on balance, absolutely. And and there's that constant reminder to go out and seek new places. You know, that's really important is, you know, these these old places, great to revisit, but actually there's something about going out and discovering new places that can add to that constant search for, you know, they don't want to sound crass and cheesy, but 
you know, that eternal quest for happiness by, <laughs> by constantly going out and discovering, because there's a huge amount out there, you know, you just stick a pin in an ordnance survey map and go and see what it's like. You know, we are really lucky up here, particularly. We've got all this fantastic stuff on our doorstep, whether it's the towns or even the suburbs or, or those rural places that I think are, are, are ripe for discovering. You know, it never ends. I, you know, my son became really interested in all of the post boxes that we would drive past on the way to dropping off at nursery. Oh, I and, love it. and then suddenly there's a whole world opened up about, you know, different types of post box. Oh, yeah. You know, lamp boxes and wall boxes. We've So we've got a wall box, a Victorian post box. So you can, tell, you can tell which, you know, which queen or king it was... Uh built for based on the uh the initials yeah, as, can't you? as soon as yes. you discover that journeys yeah. are made so much more interesting and happier totally with you on <laughs> by, that one yeah. by, by spotting all the different types of royal cipher on a post box so that, and it's all part of our kind of built environment and it's and phone boxes are another one but i won't go into that now <laughs> oh phone boxes are my thing i love a phone phone box so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah it became uh became really because of my you know then two-year-old son who's interested my facebook stream now is the live feed is full of the most random facebook books that uh, <laughs> groups that i had to join so i'm um, you know antiquated street furniture facebook group who knew <laughs> <laughs> or uh post boxes and phone boxes of the uk you know so in you know in, and and you can guarantee that where's my phone think... i need to find i need to find these groups and add them <laughs> <laughs> yeah well well i can go through them now um uh and and i was going through this with um one of my family who just thought it was hilarious um yeah royal mail post boxes post boxes in the uk this is my favorite the red phone box and post box appreciation society love it um, love it and that's, you know, that's all part of that kind of interest. And, you know, if you suddenly think you're the only person to appreciate it, you're not. There's a whole world of people out there. But, you know, you know, again, like, you know, phone boxes are a bit like, you know, the, the changing landscape of the city. You know, they're, they're perhaps not needed so much now in, in urban settings, but they're still crucial in, you know, rural. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of my drive up to the Isle of Skye in the Highlands of Scotland and how many phone boxes you see up there because you don't get reception everywhere up there. And but also they've been converted, haven't they, into defibrillator yeah, boxes or, or, or libraries or, yeah, or shops or yeah, library. exactly. So it's that whole, yes, just changing to fit the environment and the world that they currently find themselves in. Yeah, and it, it, it makes me sad when I see a picture of a village where the, the phone box has been lost um, because they, you know, in, in huge swathes of the country, they've been adopted and taken on these new uses. And I think, you know, that's it's part of our kind of heritage. Um, so it's great when you see that they've been given new uses. Well, I think we're coming to the end of the interview now, Adam. I think we've covered so much. It's been absolutely brilliant catching up with you and talking to you about, about happiness. I, I mentioned before, we kind of ask everybody, you know, what are your, what's your advice? What are your tips to people listening about how to maintain um, positive mental health well-being? Do you have anything that you can pass on to the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you, you've got to make time for it. I think if you, if you carve out a bit of space and time to literally stick a pin in an ordnance survey map and go and find it or, or just have a look at google earth maybe take it a you know stone's throw away from your ordinary places that you would go to visit and just take the time to go and explore i think it's um it's really nice to build that kind of picture of a place over you know space and time and to, to kind of understand somewhere and and how that place has come to be and and it's it's about finding a place like that that becomes your space to energize yourself because it's a place you find calm or serene but also that that you can recharge and re-energize and that i think you know everyone can find a place like that that's that's my top tip make make the time for it um, and it might be in the places that you least expect it, because it might be those 
uh, I, I mentioned before these liminal spaces that you know liminal spaces are quite often transitional spaces people think of them as quite uncomfortable places but they don't have to be it's it's anywhere that you get that sense of the in-between phenomenon and actually quite a lot of liminal spaces that start off feeling like uncomfortable spaces because they're derelict or abandoned actually become really fascinating spaces and and i you know i've got lots of happy memories of going to those places and thankfully they still exist out there so yeah that that's my tip make make the time to go and find these places these thresholds that become passages or spaces between one place and another and and develop that kind of connection sense of place with them and then introduce other people to them wonderful well thank you so much adam thank you for your time this afternoon thank you absolute pleasure as always i'll end the interview there thank you thank you that was adam what did people think that's really great oh please 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 can i talk about this first (laughs) go for it go for it i thought you you might like this one (laughs) well he gave me a little bit of heads up so that that was nice but i got about a minute in and a couple of phrases the first one was manor station Mm -hmm. and the second one was the liminal space and Oh, I was just away then. Adam's voice for the for however long this interview is was was in the background as I was thinking about Manor Station and <laughs> liminal spaces, because I used Manor Station a lot when I was at school, and it, it must have been progressively getting more and more derelict as 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 I used it. But it really had an atmosphere about it, and your mind went in all sorts of different directions. As, as you were walking along the walkways and the ironwork and it was just such an amazing place. So I'm really sorry Adam, but I spent most of the time listening to this on a well-known search engine, <laughs> looking, looking at photographs of Manor Station and realising how many other things was were around it, like the grain store and the, the whole sort of industrial side to the good side of this this station was was just amazing so i think you you know you've got a lot to be thankful to your dad for to taking you places that are old mm-hmm. and the and the other thing that came in almost as an aside was his dad as a photographer but you'd just, love to get your hand on I'm that so please pamphlet. adam please <laughs> could i have a look at that <laughs> It sound it sounds as though it's an important collection. So, mm-hmm. so yes, you are right. I was hooked all the way through, <laughs> <laughs> and the post boxes at the end yeah. couldn't be better. <laughs> Thanks, Kath. Chris, what about you? Well, it's interesting because that whole kind of manor station stuff is before my time. I I moved here back in twenty ten. Um, by which point Manners had gone. Actually, I, I remember the Warner Cinema that he talked about. I was going to say, yeah, did you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, I studied here in the 1990s, um, but then sort of come back and realised that it was not there anymore. It's, a, it's another university. So yeah, different people having different perceptions of spaces as, as time goes on. It was it was really interesting. Yeah, so as, as a geographer, somebody that you know, was almost a geography teacher, all that stuff is really fascinating to me. And I loved it when he was talking about model railways and, and, and creation of, uh, you know, real spaces in miniature. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, like you, Kath, that kind of set me thinking on a whole kind of train of thought. Because I remember many, many years ago, my granny in Edinburgh, I mean, she was from Preston, Leyland, I should say. Um, and she moved up to Edinburgh near us and she had a bungalow. And at the back of the bungalow, there was some hard standing for what I guess should have been a caravan or something and, and quite a big, big flat garden. Um, but it was all concrete. Um, and we would have these chalks, uh, this chalk, and we would just kind of draw maps on this kind of massive area, um, sort of five meters by 10 meters or something like that, of the places that we knew and just tried to recreate it. And so much happiness, really, really enjoyed, enjoyed that. And I, th- I guess it must be something similar when you're, when you're building a, a, a model railway, not a train set. Yeah, yes. get the get the phraseology. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, that that, that did make me chuckle because uh, my my father in law he he was uh, 
he was very much into his his model railway um and that that was something he was very keen to impress on all of us that it's not a train set it's a model railway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thanks chris uh, yeah i loved catching up with adam it was it was great i've known known him for a long time and uh it was good to sort of talk to him more about those things that bring him happiness and yes as you say katha the uh, the phone boxes and the uh <laughs> post box chat at the end and all of those facebook groups i definitely need to check them out local history so, geeks yeah. look at you Uh, But yes, thank you, both of you. And thank you, Adam, for another fabulous interview. So if you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we'd love to hear from you. We love hearing your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you. You can get in touch via email, hello at thenorthernguidestohappiness.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at North Happiness and Instagram and Facebook at Northern Happiness. We're really glad to be spreading joy and happiness around the Northeast through this podcast, thanks to funding from the National Lottery Community Fund and the Newcastle COVID Fund. So thank you so much to our funders for their support. I should also say that we've got some great workshop events coming up over the next few weeks, including a stadium tour of St. James's Park, a writing workshop with Chris Ord, and forest bathing with Pearl Saddington at Gibside. So please do check out our socials for details of those. But we've reached the end of another episode. We hope you're enjoying listening to the Northern Guides to Happiness. Take care and see you all again next week for another episode. (laughs) 